I want to ask you if you would, we've been doing a series on Bible stories, and I want to really ask you if you would open your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 17. Now, if you have the Bible app on your phone, you can click the little menu there and look for a event near you, and you'll find that scripture laid out for you there. 1 Samuel 17. If you don't have a Bible, there's Bibles maybe in a rack near you in a pew, and that would be really helpful to you as you follow along. Those of you that were here last week, you're going to be so glad that I'm not going to read the whole story. I just about did that with Samson, right? Uh, we're not going to read near as much as we did last week, and uh, the sermon will actually be a little bit shorter this week. So, wow, as long as I'm doing such miracles, maybe I'll turn some water into wine later, right? Short sermons, water into wine, that's a miracle, right? Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I got a question for you. Have you ever fought a giant? I mean, really, have you ever fought a giant? I can remember there was a kid in my high school, his name was Paul, and I always thought Paul was a giant, and I never wanted to go the wrong way on Paul, because I was pretty tall in high school, but he was tall and big. He was kind of a giant, and never wanted to offend Paul, because he was a giant. I saw him on Facebook the other day. I think I could take him now, so that's kind of good, right? Yeah. <clears throat> You ever fought a giant? I've faced a couple bullies in school, but I've never really faced a giant. And still, the story of David and Goliath, which is a story of a small boy, or not real small, but a young man and a giant, that is a story that resonates with all of us, right? I mean, the story of Samson, you just know Samson, Delilah, hair, people dying. That's basically what everybody knows about it if they haven't read it or heard a sermon on it recently. The story of David and Goliath, everybody knows that story. Oh, yeah, that's a story about a, a young man who, who, who killed a giant with nothing but a slingshot. Yeah, that's a great story. I love that story. Why? Why? You've never faced a giant. So what makes you love a story about facing a giant? Well, the fact of the matter is you have faced giants. We all face modern-day giants. Let me give you a few examples if I can. Here's one example. Finances. Finances can be a giant, from paying off your school loans to preparing for retirement. Finances can be pretty stout. You know that the average debt, and this, this statistic's three or four years old, the average debt of a college graduate with a simple four-year degree, that's not simple, but you understand, no, no advanced degree here, it's a bachelor's degree, the average debt is $28,950. And while some of you might go, wow, that's the average. I have known people whose debt was over three times that. People who came out with $90,000 debt. That's a giant. And they got to deal with it. Uh, think about the cost of construction and housing today. You know, my friend Mike is a new homeowner. He put on Facebook, hey, my sump pump failed. And man, about 600 people were like, I can help you, I can help you, I can help you. I thought that was great that you have so many friends, Mike, willing to help you. Think of the cost of construction today. I told this number and I had it wrong in the early service. So I talked to Ian and I got it right today. Ian uh, is a contractor in our area. He happened to be in Bo's garage. We were there for a men's gathering this past Thursday. He looked around at all that OSB board and Ian was literally, his mouth was watering as he looked at that. Not really, not really. But as he looked at it, he made this remark. He said, you know, a couple, three years ago, that was $8 a sheet, and now it's 40 Yeah, so that's a pretty substantial increase in price. Can you imagine if you were building a house, and you're thinking, how in the world am I going to afford this? Because that's a five-fold increase. The house that I thought was going to cost me $100,000 is going to cost me five times that, 500, half a million. How am I going to do that? And that financial issue can feel like a giant for you. Here's another kind of a giant. 
Relationships. Relationships. Even relationships that are good ones, meant to be good relationships. Think of marriage. Think of the consistent, and I'm choosing that word intentionally, the consistent divorce rate in your lifetime. Because people say, it's going up. It's just been bad for all my lifetime, right? Yeah. Think, think of parenting difficulties. We, we have some interesting words we use as parents. Ah, oh, the terrible twos. Ladies, those are coming. The terrible twos are coming, right? Yeah, the terrible twos, right? And then, and then we'll say, ah, oh, pre-adolescence. That's really hard. And then we'll say, adolescence? Yeah, I have a monster here now. And then when they grow up and they leave the home, all of a sudden they're not taking your advice anymore. And you can't force them to. And those relationship issues from terrible twos all the way through can feel like a giant. Here's another one. Addiction. Addiction is a huge giant in our society. Think about alcohol and abuse of other drugs. You've read the statistics. I don't have to read them. You've seen the headlines. I don't have to tell you about them. You've experienced it in your own family, in your own friendship, maybe in your own life. And if you've talked to someone who's fighting an an addiction, they'll often say, I feel like I'm facing a giant. I feel helpless here. And by the way, addiction in my mind is not just a matter of drugs. (laughs) There are behavioral addictions that are just huge and incredibly powerful. I read an article this week in Psychology Today that reports that about six years ago, in the United States of America, the first internet addiction center was established. Think about that. It's a rehab place you go to get over your addiction to the internet. Their motto? Connect with your life, not your device. Oh, easy. I know some of you are saying, are you listening to this, Pastor Steve? (laughs) Right? It sounds really relevant, doesn't it? Some of the patients who go there, it's not just internet they're addicted to, but video games can be addicting. And similar addictions might include social media. And then there's this phrase that I've used this phrase for years, news junkies. You know, I'm a news junkie, and and, and you can really just be addicted to the news. I can remember probably 10 or 12 years ago, I was visiting someone in his home, and he was dealing with some elements of depression. He was a retired gentleman, and he had the news on there, the headline news, on, or the, the cable news on there. And uh, I said to him, oh, you're watching the news. He said, oh, I turn that on first thing when I get up, and first thing when I go to bed, last thing when I go to bed, I turn it off. And I'm like, no wonder this guy's dealing with depression. Really, right? But he can't turn it off. Behavioral addiction. And then there's all the other ones. There's addiction to pornography, to shopping, to sex, to social media, to gambling, to gossiping. Some of those things are bad in and of themselves. Some of those things are bad because of what they rob us from, rob from us rather, in our lives. Either way, they're giants. And they're strong giants. Just to give you an idea of how strong the giant can be, Uh, The article I read in Psychology Today talking about the video games thing, it was talking about a young adult male and that he had entered the rehab for video game addiction and come out of it and gone right back. And then he came back and he entered it again. He took him a double, double try to get rid of it. And currently when the article was written, he was doing okay. He'd taken up uh, some kind of running or something like that. Might have replaced one addiction for the other. I'm not really sure. You can do that. You and I, and here's the point I want you to hear at this part of the message. 
you and I face some giants that are like Goliath, (laughs) powerful, somewhat intimidating, threatening, and difficult to break free from. And they call out to us from the Valley of Elah consistently. Let's talk about the story of David and Goliath, okay? (laughs) Israel, the people of God, they are engaged in military strife with their enemies, the Philistines. And the battle lines have been drawn up. One army is on one hillside, and then across this valley of Elah, the other army is on the other hillside. That is literally on the screen. That's literally a picture I found of the valley of Elah. The battle lines are drawn, and uh, they're ready to fight. But when they get there, when they arrive, they see the Philistines have something up their sleeve. It's a giant. It's a gentleman named, and I use the word gentleman loosely, Goliath. And the story says that, and and scholars are not sure, you know, because weights and measures change, but some report that he would have been nine feet, six inches tall. He's a big boy. And he's coming out, and he's challenging the people of Israel. You find his challenge in verse 8. I ask you to open your Bible there. If you didn't, just follow along and listening, but if you'd like to look, it says in verse 8, Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? And are you not servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him come down to me. If he is able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects and serve us. And then the Philistine said, This day I defy the armies of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. I want to tell you, the NFL fan in me loves that, you know. It's kind of like Joey Porter, you know, calling out uh, somebody on the football field years ago, right? But the people of Israel, they didn't like it so much. In fact, you can imagine no one was volunteering. Hey, why don't you go fight that giant? I'm not going to go fight that giant. You go fight that giant. I know, let's get Mikey. Mikey will fight the giant, right? Yeah. Really, there's not a lot to be said by the soldiers who were on the hillside, on the Israel side. If you look, you can find it two places. In verse 11, it says this, On hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and all the Israelites, and by the way, Saul is the king, Saul and all the Israelites were two things, dismayed and terrified. We're going to talk about that in more detail later. Then if you look down at verse 24, it says, When the Israelites saw the man, that is Goliath, they fled from him in great fear. So you get the idea. They've come to this mountainside. They're ready to fight. A giant comes out. They're wanting to run away. It's one guy. They're an army. He's got the fear, and he's given it to them. But along comes David, who at this point is pretty much still a boy. He's not a soldier. And in verse 26, we see him interacting with the other soldiers or with the soldiers. It says, David asked the men standing near him, what will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? By the way, when Jesus refers to him as an uncircumcised Philistine, he's really not concerned with the man's physiological state. Here's what he's saying. Who is this guy who has never entered into any kind of relationship with God to think that he can stand against the armies of the living God? That's what he's saying. That's what he's saying. And evidently, he repeats this. In fact, the passage says he does. Evidently, so much so that, that King Saul hears of it and calls him up. 
hey, send me that guy, that guy that says, why aren't we doing something about this? And the conversation between King Saul and David is quite interesting. It begins in verse 32. Follow along. David said to Saul, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. Saul replied, you are not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You are only a young man, and he has been a warrior from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or bear came and carried off the sheep from the flock, I went after it and struck it and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will also rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you. So moving forward in the story, skipping a couple things along the way, David approaches Goliath. And here's what he's armed with. He's got his staff and he has his sling And when he gets to the bottom of the valley, and we know it's the bottom of the valley because that's where the brook is, he picks up five smooth stones. And that's what he's got. Now, if you love good drama, better than AMC drama, if you love good drama, you have to love Goliath's words starting in verse 43. Verse 43 says, he said to David, am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said, and I will give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals. David said to the Philistine, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day, the Lord will deliver you into my hands and I will strike you down and cut off your head. This very day, I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals. And the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. And all those gathered here will know it is not by sword or by spear that the Lord saves. For the battle is the Lord's and he will give all of you into our hands. And then it happens. (laughs) Verse 48. As the Philistine moved closer to attack him, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet him. Reaching into his bag, taking out a stone, he slung it and struck the Philistine in the forehead. The stone sank into his forehead and he fell face down to the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. Without a sword in his hand, he struck down the Philistine and killed him. David ran and stood over him. He took hold of the Philistine's sword and drew it from the sheath. And after he killed him, he cut off his head with the sword. Wow. That feels like a Conan the Barbarian movie, doesn't it? Yeah, every 14-year-old kid's like, oh, that sounds good. That sounds good, yeah. I want to talk about this a little bit. I want to talk about whatever giant you're facing. And I want to begin by kind of getting your attention, helping you to focus your attention on some characteristics of the defeated. Now, when I'm talking about the defeated, you might think I'm talking about Goliath. After all, he's laying there dead without his head. He's defeated. Yeah. That's not who I'm talking about. I'm talking about these soldiers, the ones who didn't take up the challenge. For 40 days, every day, Goliath walks out and he stands in the Valley of Elah and he says, 
bring it. And for 40 days, every day they go, "Ah, no, 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 no. In response to the giant's threat, they find themselves, the scripture says, dismayed. Take a look at verse 11 again. It says, on hearing the Philistines' word, Saul and his Israelites were dismayed and terrified. That word dismayed can mean shaken. It can mean shattered. It can mean their world was rocked. I kind of get this picture in my mind of the, the, the Israelite army. It's coming. We got Saul, our king. We're going to the Valley of Elah. We're going to fight these Philistines. And when I get there, this one big Philistine comes out and says, hey, how about this? Let's do this instead. Come on, guys. You got any men there? Bring them. And when they see that, their confidence goes away. They are rocked to the core. This is a characteristic of the defeated. And giants, they can do that to you. Another characteristic of the defeated. It shows up in the same verse. I told you we'd come back to this verse. It's verse 11. At the end it says, Saul and the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. They were afraid. Filled with fear. Terrified. Have you ever seen the video that was floating around a couple years ago on uh, the internet of the guy in Utah who was out for a run and he's, he's kind of going along, just him and his cell phone, and, and it's a path or a, an old road, maybe an old logging, logging road or something, and as he's going for this run, he comes upon a cougar with two of her kittens or cubs, either one is correct. Have you seen that video? How many have seen that video? Yeah, yeah, that's an amazing video. The cougar, of course, is going to defend those cats, <laughs> her kittens, and take a look at the screen. That's just a still shot from that video. Yeah, right? He's walking backwards, videoing what he probably is concerned will be his last breaths because she's after him. Now, because I know if I don't tell you how the story ends, you won't hear the rest of the sermon. I'm not telling you the way it ends. No, 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 no. He gets away. I mean, he picks up a stone, throws it, and she decides to leave, which is just absolutely amazing to me. Absolutely amazing. The only thing more amazing than that is when I listen to the audio of it, he never prayed once. Buddy, I would have been praying and praying and praying and praying and praying. He used some language that was colorful, but he never prayed. <laughs> now, the mama cougar, <laughs> that's a scary thing. And the words that we would use to explain that fear would be words like terrified, fleeing for his life. And those are the words that are used to explain the fear. In verse 24, it says they all fled from him in great fear. And great fear, it's a characteristic of the defeated. And great fear, unless it's the fear of God, almost never serves you. There's a retired NFL football player named Dermon Gray. I have a lot of respect for him. He pastored in the Alliance for some time. Pastors a church called Transformation Church. Uh, um, and uh, it's just, a, his podcast is good and his books are great. One of his first books was called Limitless Life. And listen to what he says about fear there. He says, fear is a thief that seals courage of far too many, paralyzing and imprisoning them in a life of mediocrity. And he's right, but it does more. It does worse. If you're paralyzed before your giant, imprisoned where you are standing, then you're already defeated. Here's the third characteristic of the defeated. They are disgraced. They are disgraced. Disgrace is something we all really hate, for sure. <laughs> I mean, nobody says, I'm looking to see if there's a way I can get disgraced. It doesn't work that way. I was thinking about that during Super Bowl week. 
my team's been to the Super Bowl a few times, and they've won a few times, and they lost at least one. I, have, they, have they only lost one? Two. Oh, son of a gun. See, I blocked that out of my mind because I found it so disgraceful, right? Here's the perspective I have on the Super Bowl and football team, my football team going there. If you can't go there and win, don't go at all. And that's really a stupid perspective because, by golly, getting to the Super Bowl, Cincinnati Bengals, I have nothing but admiration for them getting there. That's huge that they could do that. Only two teams did that. Every year, only two teams did that. But do you feel kind of like I feel? Like, hey, if you're going to go there and lose, just stay home. I don't want you to disgrace me that way. We equate losing with disgrace. And we resist disgrace with all our might. But listen to this. Uncontested giants bring us disgrace. If you will not go fight the giant, then you are defeated and you are disgraced. And that's kind of what you hear when you hear David talking in verse 26. He says, what have we done for the person who gets... He asks the question to two different group of guys. He knows the answer. But he's saying, are we really going to do this? Listen to it. What will be done for the man who kills a Philistine and removes the disgrace of Israel? Because I can't stand the disgrace. I can't stand the disgrace. Hmm. Let me ask you something. I want to pause here, okay? Do you ever hear the taunts of your own giants? A giant might speak words like this. You know, you can't do this. You are on the losing side, and there is no hope. Those are words of dismay. He might speak words to make you fear. You know those friends who betrayed you before? Your new friends? They're going to be just like those old ones. And the people who think that you can do this, they just don't know you. If they knew you well, they would know it would be stupid for you to even try this. Or the giant might speak words of disgrace. Do you remember how embarrassing it was when you failed the last time? You're going to try that again? Why would you think it would be any different? Failure. That is not just what you are, it's who you are. Who you are. I don't know, does your giant speak to you from Elah and say anything like that? Mine does. Because giants are real and they are dangerous. But David actually gives us some clues in how to defeat those giants. And they are powerful clues. It's powerful counsel that you see David living out. And the first one has to do with who you are. Who are you in Christ? What is your spiritual identity? Because who you are in Christ matters. Your identity matters. David knew who he was and he knew whose he was. Just a chapter earlier, a really weird thing happened to David. I can only imagine it from David's perspective, like what just happened? He's the shepherd. He's the youngest. He's out tending the sheep. And Samuel comes to town. Samuel is a prophet that when the men of the town meet him, they say, what are you doing here? Because sometimes he came to bring judgment and sometimes he came to bring good things. He said, I'm here for something good. And they said, okay, come on in, come on in. And when he got there, he went to the house of Jesse, which was David's dad. And he said, let me see your boys. I'm gonna anoint one of them king of Israel. And they brought the bigger boys out, didn't pick him. They picked this little ruddy guy. And by the way, ruddy, that might mean he was redheaded. I'm holding on to that. Because years ago, I was redheaded. 
First time in my life I've ever liked the color of my hair, by the way. <laughs> he took this younger boy, and Samuel said, he said, I anoint you in the name of the Lord, king of Israel. Well, let me just read it. It's, it's in sixteen thirteen. It says, Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. That had to be, in David's young mind, a mile marker that he never forgot about. A moment that he never forgot about. (laughs) A statement about his identity, who he was, and whose he was. Do you have those kind of things in your life? (laughs) Let me give you a couple of mine, just by way of example. Some of you know about these mile markers. One of my mile markers is when I was sitting in a 1977 Dodge Diplomat, speaking to God, I had just been incredibly honest with the woman, who, the young lady who was sitting beside me. I was dating her at the time. She later became my wife. She was sitting beside me on a bench seat. I want to tell you, if you're a young adult today, you have my sympathy for two reasons. Number one, because of your music. Sorry about that. Number two, <laughs> number two, because you have bucket seats. Uh, there was nothing like dating a girl with a bench seat. You put your arm around her, and you never felt your hand for the rest of the ride because all the blood drained out of it. But it was worth it. Sitting there in that diplomat, I have my arm around that girl, but I know I've got to tell her about my hypocrisy. I have to tell her about my failures. I cannot continue to lie to her. And I believe with all my heart when I do this, she will slide over to the other side of that car and she'll say, take me home. I really felt that way. But when I told her that, Laurel turned her head toward me and cried on my shoulder. Story probably gets better every time I tell it. <laughs> Last time I told it, I said my shirt was wet with tears. I'm not sure if it was. That's how I remember it, though. And here's what I said. Here's the milestone marker. Listen to it. God, if this is how you love me, I'm all in. I am all in. That's a mile marker. I go over it in my mind. I hang on to it. Because it tells me who I am in Christ and whose I am in Christ. Here's another one. Sitting in my dorm room. It's probably 1982. And I'm sitting there in the dorm room and I'm reading for the first time ever through the Gospel of John. And I'm to that point at the end of the Gospel of John where, where Jesus is speaking to Peter and he says, Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, of course I love you. And he says, feed my lambs. And I read it and I'm familiar with the story but it's like it says, Stephen. I literally had to look several times because every time I read it, it didn't say in my mind, it didn't say Peter, it said Stephen. And there's only two people I know that call me Stephen. That would be my mom and evidently God, right? And Laurel when I'm bad. There's that, right? Yeah. I want to tell you, being a pastor has its ups and downs. And there are times that as a pastor, you fight giants that you just don't know what to do about. You ever been with a couple holding, they're holding the baby, waiting for the doctor to declare. That's a giant. That's a giant. Have you ever seen someone you loved and you worked really hard to disciple them and say, we don't like you anymore. Pastors get that too. And that can be a giant. The only way, and it was Reverend David Muir who told me this. He said, the only way you will endure is to hold on to the milestone of that moment when you heard, Stephen, do you love me? Feed my lambs. It's the only way. Look at who you are in Christ. Look at whose you are. Because your spiritual identity matters. What if I don't have a milestone marker like that? Pastor Steve, you got all those milestone markers? I don't have any. 
Get one right now, right in the middle of this sermon. Do it right now. Just right now, in the silence of your heart, in the quietness of your thoughts, speak to God and say, God, if you will have me, I will be yours. And I know you'll have me because Jesus died for me. I'm all in. And then remember, that was on February 20th, 2022, that you did that. You don't have to remember the date. Just remember the moment. Make it your milestone marker and affirm it all the time. David knew who he was, and he knew who he was. Here's a second clue from David, and it's this. Approach your giant with humility, confident in Christ in you. James chapter 4, verse 6 says, God opposes the proud and shows favor to the humble. David didn't slay Goliath in his own strength. He didn't walk around the camp and say, in a minute, I'm going to show you boys what a real man looks like. There was no swagger there. None at all. He didn't go after Goliath in order to prove himself. Hey, I was anointed king in the last chapter. Now let me show you what a king does. There's none of that in David. Instead, he points out that it is all from God and it is all for God. Let me show you that in verse 46. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands. It's not this day I will have you in my hands. He puts the Lord in there. And then the next part of verse 46 at the end, it says, and the whole world will know that I am king of Israel. Nope, doesn't say that. Read it. The whole world will know there is a God in Israel. And then in verse 47, and those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or by spear that the Lord saves, for the battle belongs to me and my sling. Doesn't say that. He says, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into my hands. David is not there to become the most valuable player on the field. He is there to honor God. And if you've been thinking to yourself, <laughs> about your giant, it might do you well to think about your motivation. Do you want to defeat your giant so that you can have a better life? That's not a bad motivation, but it's inadequate. Do you want to defeat your own giant in order to be rid of it to make your life easier? That's good. But can you think of a better motive? Do you want to defeat your giant so you can get your mom off your back? (laughs) Cool. She'll be glad. But that is a less than honorable, less than honorable motive. David shows us the honor is found, the motivation is found in dealing with your giant for the glory of God. To God be the glory because he's delivered me from this giant. If you want to be free of your giant, make sure your motive is for God's glory. Let me give you one more clue from David. Trust in God's love for you. Trust in God's love for you. He loves you. Perfect love casts out all fear, it says in 1 John chapter 4. When David is questioned about his ability to kill this giant, David points out that he knows God is taking care of him. God loves him. God has taken care of me in the past. He says in verse 37, the Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. Saul says to David, go, and the Lord be with you. Let me tell you something about your giant. (laughs) If Jesus loved you enough to die for you, and if the Father loved you enough to call you, and the Spirit loved you enough to speak to you, then God loves you enough to help you with your giant. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Yeah, (laughs) That's so cool. 
And it points you right back to where you need to be. It points you back to the cross. Because when you wonder about God's love for you, and you wonder, is he going to help me with my giant, or is he going to let me get beat by my giant? Just take a look at a hill called Golgotha, where you see sorrow and love pour, mingled down, flow mingled down. Look at the cross of Christ, where he poured out his love for you. Greater love has no one in this than to give up one's life for one's friend. God demonstrated his own love for us in this while we were yet sinners. Christ died for us. Hmm. The victory he won at the cross is a victory over your giants. And he shares that with you. So let me ask you, what are your giants? Maybe they're not even listed there. Those were just some examples. What are your giants? Are you happy with them? Do you like hearing them call out to you from the plain, the the valley of Elah? Hey, you're not going to make it. You like hearing that voice? You enjoying that? Of course you're not. Of course you're not. David would say this to you. Don't be dismayed. They are defeatable. And don't be afraid because God loves you. And don't be disgraced because the Lord will be with you. I'm going to pray that that kind of thinking would seep deep into your very being. Would you stand with me as we pray? So here's what we're doing. We're going to talk to God for just a minute now. And you're going to say, I got these giants and I really need to deal with them. Help me follow David's pattern. Help me find that victory. So let's pray. Father in heaven, giants abound. (laughs) And often it feels like just when we beat the one, the next one's calling out to us and taunting us. I would pray, Father, that you would help us train our minds not to be dismayed and never allow us to believe the lie that they cannot be beaten. Because greater is he that is in us than the giant that might be in the world. So help us never to be dismayed and never to be afraid. Because you love us. You are there for us. You have protected us from the lion. You protected us from the bear. And you'll protect us from this giant if we trust you. And let us not be disgraced by standing there doing nothing. May we go and may the Lord be with us. This is our prayer. And we pray it in the name of Christ Jesus. Amen.